Good morning and Merry Christmas to you all. Wow, we have such an honor today with Christmas on a Sunday morning to share worship in our homes and to connect with all of you on this beautiful day. It's also a very full day and so much fun as Christmas morning always should be. Kids and moms, dads, grandparents, and cousins, whoever you're with there at your Christmas tree today, Becky and I, like all of you, absolutely love this day. And we love to sing, lift our hearts in praises today. Just one song, keeping it shorter. We're going to share One, smile, one Small Child. One small child in a land of a thousand. One small dream of a savior tonight. One small hand reaching out to the starlight. One small city of light. One king bringing his gold and riches. One king ruling an army of might. One king kneeling with incense candlelight. One king bringing us From the flame of a candle, one small light from a city of might, one small light from the stars in the endless night, one small light from a face. See the shepherd kneeling before him, see the king's unbended knee, see mother praising his father see the blessed one small child in a land of a thousand one small dream in a people of might one small hand reaching out to the starlight one small savior of life One small Savior of life. Amen. What a joy it is to be able to meet on Christmas morning. What a gift from God that we can treasure to be together at home, to be able to share together, but also to connect here, just thanking God for the incredible gift in the words of 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's just something stirring and humbling about all of this. Here we are meeting on Christmas morning, 
Millions of families around the world have this experience. But each in their own way, Christmas, the real event itself, has spurred so many thousands of unique cultural traditions. Something deeply bears witness to every heart about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. It's as if we all know instinctively that all of creation, even the natural world, somehow has been graced and illuminated by the reality of Jesus being born on the planet Earth. One of many examples of this is an old legend from the land of Bosnia. Over a hundred years ago, in tiny villages in the high mountains of Bosnia, the nativity of the infant Messiah was shared as God's gift to nature as well as to human beings. Here's how the Bosnian storytellers explained it. When the child of Nazareth was born, the sun leaped in the heavens and the stars around it danced. A peace came over mountain and forest. Even the rotten stump stood straight and healthy on the green hillside. The grass was beflowered with open blossoms. Incense, sweet as myrrh, pervaded the upland and the forest. Birds sang on the mountaintops, and all gave thanks to the great God. Other traditions around the world arose in the form of songs, like this anthem heard often in those old chapels with bell towers. And all the bells on earth shall ring on Christmas Day in the morning. And all the bells on earth shall ring on Christmas Day in the morning. Well, in the midst of the fun and fellowship and festivities, the bells are ringing. God's grace is being signaled to us. Every time we hear the familiar words of Luke chapter 2 and the beauty, elegance, and poignance of the account of the Lord Jesus being laid in that manger. And one thing we all love about Christmas is the way family traditions spring up, even in our own families. Some are warmly spiritual, while others are quirky, funny, and unforgettable. One family I knew had a rule that everyone stays in pajamas all Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So, well, while we're here together, raise your hand now, wherever you are. How many of you are watching this in your pajamas? Cool, cool, good, good. Well, however you're celebrating, we're so glad to link up here to open the Gospel of Luke. Again, to that second chapter, the beauty of the entire story there in Bethlehem. And think about it when you look at Luke 2, 4, and 5, where Joseph and Mary have come to that city required under a decree from Caesar Augustus that their whole region would be taxed. And there, through circumstances none of them ever could have anticipated, God was sovereignly orchestrating their very movements to bring about the precise place and circumstances that would demonstrate the character of our Redeemer. It's like from the splendor of heaven to the splinters of earth's stable, Jesus arrived. The wonder of his coming is in seeing not only the power of God bringing all this about, but the personality of God. 
Christmas is really about the personality of God. Who is this one who will wrap his eternal deity in the garment of human flesh? What is this birth that causes angels to bow in hushed holy awe as they awaited his appearing? This is what brings you and me together here on this Christmas morning. If we had a zoom lens camera and could capture one of the phenomenal moments of that first Christmas, I would like to zero in on what those shepherds saw when they launched out on a baby search in Bethlehem. We can scarcely imagine how brightly that night sky had lit up when angels told the shepherds to launch out on their quest to see the newly born infant King Jesus. We're used to hearing about the angels, but the sheer magnitude of it was awesome beyond words. One translation of Luke 2 verse 9 puts it like this, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and the splendor of the Lord blazed around them. Rescued from sheer panic by the calming angelic choir, these overjoyed shepherds set out then on their search, following what they'd been commanded. As the resounding power of glory to God in the highest and peace upon the earth rang in their ears, the shepherds made their way past the familiar hostel, the inn where there had been no room available for Mary and Joseph to stay, and then arrived at that makeshift maternity ward where the first infant cries of the eternal Son of God had first been heard by sheep and oxen in the stall. Here's how their search on foot by night is pictured in the Gospel of Luke as the shepherds conversed among themselves. In Luke 2, 16, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Now, this morning, on this Christmas morning, I want to take a cue with you from the way those shepherds went to find Jesus. Speed is what jumps off the page from that conversation among those shepherds. They were hurrying. They went as fast as their feet could carry them. No lingering or dithering. Imagine just having heard the thunderous melodies of thousands of angels singing glory to God in the highest. This was urgent in the best possible way. What could be more urgent than rapidly following exactly what that archangel choir director had commanded them to do? Hadn't the angel given them a specific sign? He sure did. And there's a parallel command for us. Just as kids on this Christmas morning surely wanted to hurry and, and get to the tree earlier this morning, we're also called to a speedy response to God in our hearts. Christmas signals a powerful fact for all of us. God's good news already gives us all we need to get fresh zest and new energy to bring the light of Jesus to our world. That's true here for this church that we all share when we're together 
on other Sundays. Angelic commands aimed those shepherds to a cave they hadn't seen to find a baby of infinite authority with parents whose natural lives were on the same plane as the shepherds. And yet, even with speedy resolve, there's an intriguing gap in the instructions that they had, and that intriguing gap holds a powerful clue for us. You see, the angelic instructions were, go find the baby. (laughs) But there was no GPS in their shepherding supplies. How would they find the baby? A poignant retelling of this rapid search uh, of the shepherds by Alfred Edersheim, messianic biblical scholar of the late 19th century, a man whose deep love for his Savior uh, is evident in all the pages of his absolutely monumental work on the life of Jesus. And Edersheim writes about that scene, the shepherds going to find the baby. And, and he suggests, envisions a lantern swinging over the hostelry, that same inn that had no room for Mary and Joseph. And nearby, being able to start from that point and go and find themselves to what now best evidence would indicate was a livestock cave where Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. Not as likely that it was constructed of wood. More likely, from all the research that's been done, that this was a a cave and that even the manger itself, though we usually have pictures of a wooden cradle, it's most likely that cradle, that manger was hewn out of stone, six to eight inches deep. You think of your own life and our calling as a church. Like the shepherds, there's so much that we don't know. Many questions we can't answer. Odd, isn't it, that the angel said, go find the baby, but they, they had to wrestle with the unknown, even in that uh, monumentally beautiful search. But think about it, too, and it's true for us. God doesn't hold us accountable for what we cannot know. He sends us with sharp, clearly focused instructions. Go find the baby. Oh, and here's what you'll need to know. And for us, go into all the world and bring the good news of Jesus Christ to every creature. Oh, but we say, Lord, there's so much we don't know. How do we do it here? What's next? What's now? And it's in those gaps. It's in those gaps where we don't know that our hearts are stirred with the wondrous truth of immediate companionship with the Lord Jesus. That is, God gives each of us the invitation to be on the move, on the go, even with those things we don't know in our lives. Mary, the baby's mom, and her husband Joseph were similar to the shepherds in lifestyle, status, and financial means. None of them could have imagined the awesome way God would make his glory known by means of a stunning contrast. Once they did get to that stable cave, they found a dark dwelling place illuminated by torches or lanterns where the light of the world, the light of the world, 
would lay his head in a cradle filled with hay. And in that uh, incredibly unexpected environment, these shepherds humbly knelt in awe at the majestic origin of that tiny infant in the manger. The circumstances we all envision as we gather here on Christmas morning are stirring to our souls first because we know the identity of the baby in the manger. But there's also a strong assurance we can draw from the sign, the part the angel did explain specifically to the shepherds. Three times in this text in Luke chapter 2, the sign is repeated. A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What's so valuable for us to dwell on this Christmas is that God's sign for the shepherds shines even more brightly against the bleak and barren backdrop of the humble setting of that manger. Though we don't know for sure exactly how the stable looked, we know that the lantern light by which it was illuminated gave those shepherds a clear view of the sign that had been promised them. So it's not what surrounds us in life that matters most, not our immediate circumstances, not even the culture that we're facing today in our country. For us, as it was for those seeking shepherds, it's the sign that they found exactly as the angel had described it. Now, we could say there were two parts to the sign. First, it was to find the baby in swaddling cloths. And secondly, that that cuddly and carefully wrapped tiny human being would be lying in a feeding trough, usually used by animals. So above all, this sign was one of a fragile existence. What human experience is more vulnerable than being a newborn? In the days of, of these shepherds, the swaddling cloths also relate the Messiah to a time-honored practice of how newborns were cared for in those times. In all birthing situations, we all know how crucial it is for the care of mom and baby and labor and delivery to be done with expertise in every particular. It's interesting that best practices in pediatric care now recognize the value of swaddling not only for newborns, but in the early weeks of a baby's life. Swaddling, indeed, has made a comeback. The security of how a baby sleeps and, and other benefits that every mom of a newborn knows so well is part of that simple method. And yet in biblical times, there was also a symbolic aspect of, of what preceded the swaddling. And evidence of that comes from a really unusual place. In the 16th chapter of the prophet Ezekiel, a rather obscure part of the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel uses the opposite of parental attention to speak of the nation of Israel when they were in a time of great apostasy and to dramatize how vulnerable and helpless the nation was without God. Ezekiel wrote, of Israel. As for your birth, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water for cleansing. You were not rubbed with salt or wrapped in swaddling cloths. 
No eye looked with compassion on you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field and left to die. Nothing could more dramatically illustrate the vulnerability of tiny, dependent, newborn babies. And so in that culture, a newborn would first be washed in water for cleansing, followed by a massaging of the baby's skin with a a mixture of salt and oil to protect and to soothe, and then the swaddling with linen cloths was to give that little one the close, secure feeling he knew in the womb, and then, in the case of Jesus, laid in a manger, a place that reminds us that he came in the humblest of ways to dwell among us. It's interesting that in Bethlehem today, there's a vivid an ongoing illustration of this very aspect of the nativity, and that is in that, in that structure of the Church of the Nativity, which happens to be the, the oldest and longest continuing in-service place of worship in all of Christianity throughout the centuries, where still today tourists can go in and, and see the the place in that cave that is believed to be uh, very possibly the actual birthplace of Jesus. And whether it is or not literally, it's close enough in comparison to the kind of environment in which he would have been. But the notable thing that tourists find when they go there (laughs) is that to enter to that historic place, there is a very low door And that low door entry to the cave of the very place believed to be his birthplace is a reminder to every single person who comes who has to get down really low to get into that door. That indeed, first, in an unimaginable way, Almighty God modeled a a humility that we can't even begin to fathom. And yet also, Jesus taught that in the kingdom, that um, to enter the kingdom... To be one who sees this, the, the majesty of God in a manger and understand really in our heart what it means, there's no option for us but to humble ourselves, to, 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 to stoop down low to enter into that door. Jesus came in the humblest of ways to dwell among us. Isn't it the very least we can do? To humble ourselves when our pride may be sending us off in an attitude of irritation or an attitude of grasping or an attitude of simply demanding our way. So that feeding trough for livestock became the place that the king of kings chose to dwell in his earliest hours and days. And again, with that sign of the baby, so fragile, being placed into that feeding trough, I thought about this Christmas, what strikes me most is how fragile Jesus allowed himself to be. The epistle to the Hebrews gives us a very keen insight into, to help us answer the question, why? Why would the Lord of glory so humble himself, so abandon all the eternal riches and, and sovereign power 
over space and time, not only to be among us, but to choose such a fragile existence. The Word of God in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 17 explains it like this, since the children God created are of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same. He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might be the merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God that each of us need. Friends, there are many ways in which we all are more fragile than we may realize. When Edersheim, that same Messianic Jewish scholar, reflected on this moment, he observed that on such a slender thread as the feeble throb of an infant life, the salvation of the world should hang, is truly astonishing. With no better shelter provided than a, a stable in a cave, and no other cradle than a manger, Emmanuel chose to dwell among us. Many people feel today themselves overwhelmed by forces of pressure that seem to be getting deeper and darker in the culture of our country. Kids are being exposed to evil that is unprecedented. We must know that our children, though each with specific gifts and talents, are still very fragile. They can be wounded by wicked words. They can be permanently affected by exposure to immorality. Families are made fragile when the strong, muscular design of covenant love and parental care for children is undermined in some way. Many institutions that people typically depend on have proven to be fragile. The elderly can be especially fragile. And young people wanting to chart a course for their future face obstacles that can dash their hopes and cause dreams and goals to be squashed. All kinds of fragility in our human experience. The wonderful news in all this is that wherever you feel fragile, the mighty Redeemer, who is your King, has already been there for you. When He was wrapped in swaddling cloths and lain in that manger, He chose that for you. On this Christmas, at the manger of His Majesty, we have a priceless gift. Jesus, our Redeemer, is indeed the one who reigns. He reigns supremely over a fallen world. His good news brings power, God's power, directly into every situation we face. To know the living Savior is to receive the gift of Almighty God. So bring your heart to Jesus today. Do it with new expectancy and new urgency. It's Christmas. Come in a hurry to see his majesty in the manger. And remember that he did all of this on purpose. He did all of it by divine design. This Christmas morning is not incidental to our lives. It's central. 
You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Yes, this will be his sign to you. In a fragile world, in a shaky society, in the face of sheer evil, in the culture, Jesus reigns. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're flat fragile. He's the one who handles with care. Our God reigns. Jesus the King tasted every part of human experience in this incarnation. His humility elevates your expectancy. And truly, you can now say personally and joyously, unto us, the child is born. The child, the humanity of Jesus. And unto us, the Son is given. The Son, the eternal deity of Jesus. Meeting his majesty in the manger is where our worship adventure begins. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we are so thankful on this Christmas morning that the unimaginable distance that our Lord crossed to lay aside the prerogatives of deity to take upon himself the form of a servant, to be found in fashion as a man, and to humble himself first in the very experience of being conceived in the most infinitesimally tiny way, to be born of a virgin, and in his birth to be laid in a manger among livestock and swaddling claws that are a sign of how deeply we need that which only you can give. So in our gifts today, in our delicious food and fellowship and enjoyment of the wondrous gift of this sparklingly special time, may it be ever so vivid, Lord Jesus, not only you're among us, but you're inviting us, empowering us, releasing us to go, to go with the joyous news that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Hope you enjoy all of the things you're doing today at Christmas. Thanks for sharing this time with us here together. Merry Christmas. God bless you all. We love you.